Morning. It's great to see everyone again. And uh, we're going to be continuing in our observations of the uh, nation of Israel and what was happening through Exodus. Um, and as you remember with uh, what Toby shared with us last week, we've come to a very critical point. This sounds like it's zinging a little bit. I don't know if you can... Uh, can we... Is it all right? It's fine. Okay, great. Brilliant. Um, we've got to that point where really this is the hinge, this is the, 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 the focus of Exodus. In fact, we've got this morning to the Exodus. Okay, so this is the point at which in all the time that God has been preparing things and sorting things out in Egypt, now at this point he is going to take the, the people of Israel out of Egypt. Uh, So we're going to be looking at that this morning. I will just uh, read a little bit of uh, what Toby covered last week, just to put us in the picture. So at midnight, as as you remember, the people of Israel, God had told them to share a meal together, to uh, (coughs) sacrifice a lamb, to put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts, the lintel and the posts, and to stay inside and God was going to send the final, the tenth plague across the land of Egypt. So at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt. The firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon. And the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt. For there was not a house without someone dead. But the Israelites were spared. Didn't touch them. And that was what the Passover was about. That God's angel of death passed over the Israelites and just affected the Egyptians. So we're moving into uh, the next stage. So this is the Exodus, Exodus 12, and we're going to be reading 31 to 51. I've kind of divided it up into three lots, so uh, we'll just read a bit, and then we'll talk about that, and then, then go on. So Exodus 12, 31 to 33. Uh, During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, up, leave my people, you and the Israelites, Go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go. And also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country. For otherwise, they said, we will all die. So there was a huge amount going on here. The plagues had been running for some time. Now, we don't know the time period quite over over which the plagues ran but we we've in a sense we've had a plague haven't we we've had the coronavirus that has hit right across the whole world and what an incredible time we've lived through a time that hasn't been seen for a long time you know across the nations of something that has affected people right across the nations uh, for so long and we're still kind of crawling our way out of that if you want plague, because that's effectively, it's, it's, it's not unlike that. But the Egyptians here have gone through ten of these things now, and the worst one has just hit them. 
And we can see here a, a real divide between the Egyptians and the Israelites. Something is happening here. God is making something very, very clear. So the Israelites have been under slavery with, under the Egyptians in a uh, you know, horrendous situation for quite some time now. And God has come to judge the Egyptians because he heard the cries of his people Israel. So there's a divide now between Egypt and Israel. What, what I'd like to do is, is oh, before I go there, that there's something that Pharaoh says which is very interesting. Um, he's obviously really angry now. He didn't want to let the Israelites go. He knew right from the start, I think, that actually they weren't just wanting to go and worship in the desert and then come back. He knew they were wanting to go and go. And they weren't going to come back. So he resisted, 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 resisted. He set his heart against God, although he knew that, that God was doing something because of these plagues. He could see quite clearly there was a supernatural power at work here. But he resisted and resisted until this night happened. A night to remember. And he said, go. But then he said something really strange. He said, and bless me. Why did he say that? Because he realized that he'd come up against a God who was bigger than his gods, who was greater than anything that he could do, that who actually was all-powerful. And he realized that if he did not stand, at least look as if he was standing a little bit on the side of this God, then he was in deep, 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 deep trouble in the time to come. And that's why I think he said, and bless me, because he realized that Moses and Aaron were speaking to God and they were on his side. So he's, this is his last cry, and bless me, because if you don't, I'm done for. And the rest of the Egyptians were feeling like they were going to die. We need to get rid of these Israelites. You know, we need to let them go and do what they want to do. So what I'd like to do, just in our imaginations, let's try and jump into the shoes of the people who were around at this time. This night to remember. So for the Egyptians, judgment. I think, yes. So, God's judgment was resting on the Egyptians. And we mustn't, you know, sometimes we kind of sweeten God up and we, we, we try and pretend he's just this loving father who does nothing else except love us and love us and love us. But judgment is a real thing. He is a loving father, but he is also a just judge. And he will judge because that is his right, that is his, that's part of who he is and what he does. He is the one person who actually has the right to judge because he is perfect and none of us are. And he was bringing his judgment on the Egyptians. I'm sorry, the text is a bit small here. I was hoping it looked a bit bigger than that, but it doesn't. <laughs> but if you can read it, it was devastating 
for the people of Egypt. Absolutely devastating. There was a whole load of things that happened. And now they've come through the nine plagues and now this worst one has just broken upon them overnight. And every single household has been affected. There is not one household in Egypt that has not been affected by it. There is death in every household. But more than that, it's the firstborn of each household. So that's the inheritance line. That was the most important person in the household, really, that was going to be the inheritance that would carry on down the ages. So something very, very crucial has happened here. And what's more, Pharaoh's heir has been killed. How does he feel about that? That was the most precious person in his life. You understand for a ruler, it's not their wife who's the most precious person. It's the person they're going, to hold, hang, they, they're going to hand on to afterwards. That is the most precious person. And, you know, we know from our own history, there was Henry VIII, you know, six wives basically to get an heir <laughs> that he could pass on down to. Um, crucial time. Devastation. What's more, their gods could not protect them. And they realized, you know, all of our gods have no power against this God who has done this thing to us. So they were fearing for their lives. They were now in fear. What's going to happen next? If we don't let these Israelites go, what is going to... In fact, we're not just going to let you go. We're going to push you out. Go, go, go. Just go. Get out before anything even more disastrous happens to us. They were really fearing for their lives. And if you think about it, another thing's happened. Their economy must have been absolutely devastated as well. And I think what's happened to us with the coronavirus thing, the, the economy has gone zoop down there somewhere, largely because of that. There are a few other things as well, but there you go. This is, this is Britain today. <laughs> But in Egypt, their economy must have been absolutely devastated as well because they've lost crops, they've lost all sorts of things, their households at times have been ruined by flies, gnats, frogs, I don't know what. They must have, you know, just the clear-up of that must have cost an awful lot. So the economy's gone, but now a large proportion of their workforce was leaving. I mean, we're talking millions of people here. It's just about to walk out of the country, and these were the slaves... On whom, or on whom they relied to do a load of building work. So there's a lot going on here. But most of all, and above all, there's a recognition that Yahweh is all-powerful. Can we just tweak it? Just drop it down a little bit. I think it's feeding back. Um, there's a recognition here that Yahweh, the God of gods, the creator God, the one who is above all, the one who watches over us, who never sleeps, he is all-powerful. And they had no power against him. They had no defense against him. There's nothing they could do. So let's just compare that with where the Israelites were at. So the Israelites, rather than judgment, they were under God's mercy. It wasn't that they hadn't sinned. They had sinned. They'd done the same things, Largely, that everyone else does. They were sinful, just as we're sinful. But God was showing mercy towards them. 
And that is the case, that God, God will show judgment towards whom he will show judgment, and he'll show mercy towards he, to whom he will show mercy. And it's, it's not because of our doing. We all deserve to be judged. But the Israelites were receiving God's mercy here. And for them, it was God's promises being fulfilled. Like, like the promise in, in Genesis 15, 13 and 14. Then the Lord said to him, uh, to Abraham that is, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterwards, they will come out with great possessions. So at this moment in time, at this point, this prophecy is being fulfilled. And the Israelites, they must have been sat there. 400 years they knew about this prophecy. And they'd gone into, into Egypt because there was a famine in the land and they'd actually been in a good place to begin with. And Joseph had looked after them and they were settled and they were prospering. But then another Pharaoh came along who didn't know the Pharaoh who had received them in. And that Pharaoh put them into slavery and got them to do hard labor for him. And God is now punishing Egypt because of what they have done. And then Genesis 12:2, I will make you into a great nation. Now we'll come to that in a minute. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That promise is beginning to come into play as well. So now the, the Egyptians who have cursed the Israelites, as it were, have now been cursed themselves. And there are people who are blessed through it as well. Not just the Israelites, but as we will see as we go on, there's loads of other people came with them, including a bunch of Egyptians who said, hang on a minute, I'm not staying with these gods, I'm going with your God because your God is more powerful. He looks after you. Our gods haven't been able to look after us. So then there's the Passover meal, a ceremony to be remembered. And God told Moses and Aaron how the people were to celebrate this Passover meal. And it, it becomes something that recurs right through the Jewish nation up until this day. They still celebrate the Passover meal. Something really, really precious to them. And it's a remembrance of what God did on this night. It's gone down through the ages. And then there's the lamb. And I've used two big words here. Substitutionary propitiation. And it, it, they're words that come through and I'll explain them. <laughs> but the lamb had a particular function. They slaughtered the lamb. It, and it is a picture of God taking the sins of the people and the judgment would have to be blood, death. But instead of killing the people of Israel, he took their sins and he covered those sins by the death of the Lamb. 
And that kind of points forwards hundreds and hundreds of years to what happened with Jesus, that he was the lamb, as Toby was alluding to last week. This Passover meal where they slaughtered the lamb and the judgment, the substitutionary thing, it's the lamb instead of your sin, your, your judgment. And the propitiation is that God was appeased by that. The, the, the righteous judgment, the rightful judgment that was on the people because of this, their sins was substituted by the lamb's death. And that's the same that we have for Jesus. Jesus died to take our sins upon himself. So that whole Passover meal was a picture of what Jesus would do for us. And then they were protected from the plagues. God didn't bring the plagues upon the people of Israel. Here they were in their land, their, their, their apportioned land of Goshen, around that area. And God kept back the plagues from them and only put the plagues on the Egyptians. I, I just imagine what it must have been like living in your home. You walk out your home and all the Egyptians have got all this trouble and strife and difficulty and everything's going on, but we're not. Wow, that's incredible. And then there's the release from captivity. So they've been longing because God's promise was there for them that you will be released from captivity. And at this moment, here they are. Pharaoh is finally saying, go, go, go and worship your God. You can leave. In fact, just leave, get out. And they're being released from their captivity. But there's also emotional stuff that must be going on because they've been living in this land of Goshen for 400 years, so generation after generation after generation after generation, and now they're leaving home. So they've actually got to, you know, there's a cost to this thing for them. They've got to say goodbye to their home. And okay, they've been under oppression and all of that, but they would have collected around them the, the special things. And, you know, the children have grown up in their homes and become adults and then had children themselves and probably in the same home and all the rest of that. And they're, they're having to walk away from that. But actually, there's a promise also that you're going to the promised land and... It's only a three-month walk away. So, fantastic. <laughs> I mean, we wouldn't consider a three-month walk ourselves now. Well, Sue might, because she's up to these things, but uh, most of us wouldn't. <laughs> three months walking? What? Hey? <laughs> you know, with all the stuff and animals and all the rest of that through a land we don't know? <laughs> Good gracious me. But, nevertheless, there's an end in sight. In three months, we should be there. That would be fantastic. We're going into the promised land. We're going to the place that God has spoken about where he's going to settle us in a land of our own and we won't be slaves. But he's going to bless us. It's a man, land of milk and honey and wonderful things and he promised it to Abraham and that promise has come down to us, our generation. This is where we're going. So there's great stuff happening as well. But most of all, the one thing, most of all that they realize is that Yahweh is all-powerful. That they have a God looking after them who is all-powerful, who can do anything he wants for them. 
and he is with them and he has promised things which he will bring into being and this night they're seeing a prophecy that's been there for over 400 years being fulfilled for them it's massive at this moment in time the Israelites were set free out of their slavery slavery was pretty horrendous it's it's horrendous anyway wherever you go and it's still with us today there are still people in this country who are slaves as we hear on the news there were three types of slaves in Egypt um, there the, the, the were the chattel slaves and those were mostly captives of war uh, who were sold as slaves so Egypt would go out capture a land take a load of slaves uh, take a load of people bring them back to Egypt right you're slaves now we're going to sell you in the marketplace chattel slaves and they'd be given to individual people mostly and then there were bonded laborers often they they they, they could come from all sorts of different directions, but principally, there were people who got themselves into debt. And the only way they could get themselves out of debt was to sell themselves, basically, into slavery and, and give themselves to someone and say, Look, I've got all this debt, can you pay off my debt and I'll work for you? And that's, that's what those bonded slaves, so they were bonded to individual people. They'd be owned by individual people. But it was largely a matter of choice basically because there was no other route forward for them because there was no social security in those days and all the rest of that. And then there was forced labor. And these were people who were taken from the general population and made to do labor, usually for the state, so building work and so forth. And this is probably what had happened to the Israelites, most of them. Uh, they were put in this place of forced labor. And you remember how, you know, Pharaoh in his anger said, well, now you're going to build brick or make bricks without straw. So they were mostly probably in the construction industry, uh, building buildings for, for Egypt. They came out from an oppressive kingdom under the rule of Pharaoh. And they're brought into the freedom under a righteous rule of God, the God who created them, and the God who has been interested in them as a people right back from the days of Abraham when he came out of Ur of the Chaldees and gave all those promises to, to Abraham. So God's eyes are on this nation, Israel, and he is bringing them out of bondage, slavery, and setting them free and saying, now you're going to be with me. We're going somewhere. I'm taking you to the promised land. You are free. You're free to go with me and to live the way that I have always wanted you to live. I created you. We're going to move forwards and you'll live the way I want because it will bless you and I will bless you. So that's what was happening. But actually... It's only a foretaste of what God has done with us. Because actually we have more freedom than those Israelites ever had. We've been taken right out of that kingdom of darkness and placed in the kingdom of the Son who God loves, the kingdom of light. And we'll look a little bit at that as we go on. We're going to read on a little bit. So verses 34 to 36 
So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs, wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. <laughs> it wasn't just that they got set free. They were taking away wealth with them that the Egyptians gave to them. Let's, let's just take a moment. And You know how, how sometimes on the television now, well, it seems to see it on almost everything you do now, there's a drone somewhere with a camera on it and you're, you're, you're looking through that camera's eye and, and the drone goes up and you can see the whole panorama of what's going on and, and see what's happening underneath you. And, and let's, let's just do that for a moment. So the Israelites who have been having their Passover meal with the blood on the, the lintel and the doorposts and eating of this lamb and the plague that has gone across Egypt and killed off all the firstborn, not just of the people but the animals as well. And we're up here looking down on what's happening and all of a sudden the word goes out, Pharaoh said go. Pharaoh said go, we've got to go. And the Egyptians are saying, look, for goodness sake, go. And the Israelites going to the Egyptian houses and said, well, we're going, okay, we'll go, we'll go, we'll go, but can we have this? Can we have that? Can we have that? Yeah, go. And the Egyptians are saying, yeah, take it all, you know, just take what you want. Just go. So here, massive activity going on. This is all happening in one night. This is just incredible. And so by daybreak, there are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people on the move going in a hurry. They are off. Now, logistically, how do you organize that? How do you do that? I mean, I, I've done various things in my life, and one of the things I did was organize a, a, a camp, very much like the camps that we have. And there were, you know, it was a camp for 5,000 people, and organizing that was a huge task. I mean, that was my job for the whole year. Uh, and I had grafted people on the team, and I had about 400 people on my team by the actual camp itself. And the logistics of just dealing with 5,000 people in tents who can drive there and come on the site, and they're there for just one week, is colossal. Well, they didn't have time to do this logistics. It's just Moses and Aaron said, we're going, come on! <laughs> And they started going, and the people just had to come too. But it wasn't just the people. It was the kids. It was the animals. It was what possessions they could carry. And they plundered the Egyptians at the same time. I mean, there was so much going on here. And then we get this picture of, okay, we're off. But on their shoulders were these troughs, kneading troughs, that they would make the bread in. And here was the bread, the dough. But they hadn't had time to put the yeast in because you know God had said the bread that the way they were making for um, for the Passover meal was to be without yeast so here they are overnight they've got their bread dough but there's no yeast now that in itself there's so much in this scripture but that in itself is a picture Jesus actually referred to yeast a few times and often it was 
don't take the yeast of the Pharisees. Something very negative that works its way right through the whole dough, if you like, the whole population. It was like yeast working its way through the dough. But the, the yeast of the Pharisees was false teaching. It was wrong teaching. It, it was a misunderstanding of who God was and how God acts and so forth. And so, you know, Jesus spoke about that thing. And, and part of the picture of the whole Passover meal and things was this bread that you eat without the yeast. And basically, what, what God is saying here is, don't take the teaching and the understandings of the Egyptians with you. You need to dedicate yourself to me, and I will give you the good yeast, the yeast of the kingdom of God, the understanding of me, of the way that the, the universe works, of how I am with you and how you can walk with me. That was the yeast that Jesus spoke of again. He said the yeast of the kingdom of God. And that's the picture. So here they are carrying the yeast without, out of Egypt. And what are they going to do? They're going to go into the rule and the reign of God as they go, and then the yeast kind of gets reintroduced, but this time they're under a very different regime and a very different kingdom. But then there were the spoils that they plundered from the Egyptians. Uh, and again, it was in the prophecy that Abraham go, and you will go out from there with great wealth. They're now going out with a huge amount more than they ever came in with. In fact, the, the 70 people who came into Egypt with Joseph and, and, and his brothers, those 70 people have now multiplied into millions of people, and they're going out with huge wealth. They are stripping bare Egypt. Quite extraordinary. So we'll go on. The Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth. I'll, I'll give you a little map. I don't know if you can see it. Oh, yes, you can. Yes, you can. So from Ramesses, uh, oh, I think, does this have a thingy on it that I can... Oh, look at that. Um, so Ramesses up there, and Cairo, today's Cairo is somewhere down here, and this area here is where the Israelites lived, all that area. And they, were, they, they moved down to Succoth, so this is the mass exodus now, going down towards Succoth and heading out of the country. And it, it kind of splits, this, this map splits into three directions now because no one's quite sure where they crossed the sea, okay? And uh, so the Suez Canal now runs up here, up there, uh, somewhere up to here. Um, but they've got to cross the sea at some point, but that's for another day. So... The Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. So probably looking at somewhere between 2 and 3 million people are on the move now, overnight, suddenly, in a rush. Incredible. Many other people went up with them. So these would have been people who were around. They might have been other slaves. They might have been... Egyptians, they, you know, a load of different people, probably from different nations, but a considerable number of Egyptians were probably going with them as well. And also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. With the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt, they baked loaves of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast, 
because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. That is how quickly it was happening. It was literally overnight. They've eaten their lamb, off we go. <laughs> now, the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt. Because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. On this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations to come. So actually, even right down to Jesus' time, Jesus was still doing this. So he had the Passover meal with his disciples, and then he went up on the mount and he prayed there. But it was all in the context of this Passover meal and remembering God and this keeping vigil. So when Jesus prayed in the garden at Gethsemane, he was keeping vigil. He was doing what God had told the Jews to do for so many years, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. But of course it had very particular meaning in Jesus' day because something was happening with Jesus which was greater than this, but actually which this pointed towards. So 600,000 men on foot, massive number of people, and then there were the women and the children and the livestock and the other people who came with them. We're talking about a huge number of people here. These people who came with them, it was already a fulfillment of the prophecy that God had given to Abraham, and you will bless the nations. Already this was beginning to happen. On this one night, as soon as they're set free, they're blessing the nations. These people who come with them are coming into freedom as well, out of Egypt. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And that, that was the prophecy that God placed on Abraham, on the nation of Israel, and of course, last down to us now, because we are part of that. And all the Lord's divisions, this is very interesting word, uh, the Lord's divisions here. What does that mean? Well, the, the nation of Israel was organized to some extent, so there were people who were responsible for doing various things, just as, just as our nation is organized and people do things and there are people in, in, in positions of authority and all the rest of that. And the, the Jewish nation was here. The, this word divisions is, to, is, is actually translated in a few different ways in the scripture. Uh, in this particular instance, it has more to do with salvation and redemption and later on, it has more to do with the army and the military, that these are the divisions. And actually, I think there's, there's a way that God is pointing here, that, that Moses is pointing, uh, who recorded these things, They're saying at the end of the 430 years to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt. And it, it's like we're coming out of slavery and there is a transition happening here where there is organization amongst us but actually what's beginning to happen is God is forming us into an army of people and where that word divisions is used in, in the, um, the, the next few chapters 
of Exodus, it's talking much more about the army and the way that uh, God has formed an army which he is taking to take the land and the promised land. Interesting word. And then this whole thing of the Lord kept vigil. God himself keeping vigil over this people. Just imagine that. God himself standing watch over the people. I mean, I go to sea, and, and, and when you're at sea, uh, there, are, there are people who are, sign, are assigned to be the watch keepers. And if you're, if you're sailing or whatever, as I do, you know, 24-7 for a couple of weeks or something, there is always at least one person who keeps watch and who is looking out for any dangers, any hazards, anything that, that could harm uh, any way that we need to work the boat that, that, that will keep people safe and get us to where we want to go. God is keeping watch over his people. And he still is. And Jesus is up there in heaven interceding on our behalf. 24-7. <laughs> keeping vigil. And Jesus says, and it, it happens throughout the scripture, right throughout the most common phrase, I will be with you. I will be with you. God keeping watch. So we come to the, the last bit of the passage. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, these are the regulations for the Passover meal. So, interesting. We keep coming back to this Passover meal. And even in the chapters to come, we will keep coming back to the Passover meal. It's, 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 it's that important. No foreigner may eat it. Any slave you have bought may eat it after you have circumcised him. But a temporary resident or a hired worker may not eat it. It must be eaten inside the house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate it. A foreigner residing among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised. Then he may take part like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat it. The same law applies to both native-born and to the foreigner residing among you. All the Israelites did just what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. So this Passover meal is very clear what they were to do, but it's also very clear who is allowed to partake in it and who is not allowed to partake in it. The outward sign uh, of circumcision was very important because it basically said, I belong to this people. It, it was a clear outward sign. And it, it's interesting because what, trying to translate it into modern day, uh, when you become a Christian, God doesn't ask you to be circumcised. Okay, it would only apply to males anyway. But he doesn't ask for that. What, what is it? What's the outward sign that we're, we're declaring to the world, I belong to this people? The outward sign is basically baptism. Now, baptism does not equate directly to circumcision. Circumcision was for the Jews. It was a very particular thing for them. 
it doesn't translate into Christianity. And I know there were debates in Jerusalem among the elders in Jerusalem for the new church as to whether the uh, people who were not Jews, the Gentiles, had to be circumcised. And there was a lot of debate about it uh, and some disagreements as well. But it, it came down when the elders met and decided, they said, no, circumcision is not for everyone. It, it was particularly for the Jews. But what is the thing that we do that shows and declares I'm now belonging to Christ and to the body of Christ. And it's baptism. Now, baptism does not equate directly with circumcision. Actually, baptism equates more closely with going through the Red Sea. as, as you know, that, that time when the Israelites went through the Red Sea. But again, that's for another day. So, what it does speak of is we're leaving our old life behind. And we're moving into the new. So, goodbye Egypt and all the oppression that belong to Egypt and hello God's kingdom and that's where I'm going under God's rule and authority. So let's look once more at what the Exodus was like for the Israelites and relate it to where we are as Christians. So I've just put the same thing up there for the Israelites. They were under mercy. God's promises being fulfilled and so forth. So what does that mean for us? For the Christian, we're under mercy. For us today, we're under mercy. God's purposes and promises being fulfilled. Same for us. The Passover meal, well, we don't hold the Passover meal, but we do have a meal that came out of the Passover meal, if you like, because that's when Jesus was celebrating the Passover with his disciples, and he talked about the communion or the Eucharist, as Joe had preached about a couple of times. Really good word. If you haven't heard those um, talks, then please do. And actually, there's a, there's a thing now up on the web, isn't there? On uh, the, the website, it's online. Um, so go, go to that. Uh, a ceremony to remember Jesus and unite with him. Communion, <coughs> common union with him and with the church. And what about the lamb? The substitutionary propitiation. But now it's... Jesus died in our place to take our judgment upon himself, which means we have protection from the final judgment. Because there will be a final judgment and every single person on earth will be judged, stand before the throne of God and have to give account of their life. But Jesus is also standing there and in his hands is the book of life and if you've given your life to Christ, your name will appear in that book. And Jesus will stand, say to the Father, it's one of mine. <laughs> Sorry. It's one of the ones that I won at Calvary. And the Father will say, yeah, come on in. Come on in. That's what Jesus has done for us. He's released us from slavery to sin. We don't have to sin anymore. The temptation is there and always will be until the end of our lives, but we don't have to sin. We don't have to do that. God has given us the choice. And it's, we can choose to be led by the Spirit. And we can overcome the temptation to sin by the power of the Spirit 
Every single one of us. That's what God has done for us. He's given us his Holy Spirit so that we can walk free of that trap and leaving behind the old life. We need to do that. We need to leave behind the old life, the way we used to live. That's part of our discipleship walk, is to leave behind the old, walk into the new. But ahead of us is heaven. It's only a lifetime away. (laughs) But we can enjoy something of heaven right now because God's kingdom is here. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is near when he was preaching. And I'm saying that today. The kingdom of God is near. It's within us. It's here. We can enjoy every spiritual blessing, as Paul puts it in Ephesians. Now, everything that God has in heaven, we we can begin to enjoy that now. The joy, the peace, the hope that we talked about before. It's ours in Christ as we follow him. But above all, there's the recognition that Yahweh is all-powerful. Let's just stand and perhaps you can come up and do music for us and let's worship finally. But as we do, perhaps you can just allow something of the import of what we've been talking about just to settle on you. And perhaps we we need to just respond to God and and perhaps some people in this room even need to say, God, I really haven't been following you. I really haven't been in that mass of people who are going your way. I've actually been hanging on to the old and doing things my way. Perhaps there's there's someone in here who's just never surrendered their life to Christ and you're, you're beginning to realize, actually, I'm on the wrong side here need to be on the right side because there will be a final judgment that comes and I do need to be on the right side and it's just simply a matter of opening your heart and saying Jesus you've done this for the world I surrender my life to you now let me be included in that mass of people that belong to you so just as we worship you respond in whatever way is appropriate for you but do business with God now if you if you need to close your eyes just close your eyes do business with God